And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's election day. We are coming off a massive 12-game slate on Monday night in the NBA. Buzzer beaters, overtime games, and the debut, long-awaited, of James Harden, the newest member of the Los Angeles Clippers, four Los Angeles-based or Southern California-based stars all coming together, all late in their careers, an improbable, weird, disjointed conglomeration of talent that we've been waiting for for months ever since James Harden decided that Daryl Morey was a liar and he would never, ever play for the Philadelphia 76ers again. Om Young Masuk, we were both at the game last night at Madison Square Garden. How are you? What up, Zach? Uh, I am uh, not. I am twenty-five floors up above Times Square, so I apologize. At any point, you might hear some Times Square activities coming in <laughs> through my window. So, um, two nights ago, as we awaited James Harden's debut, I was laying in bed, and as I want to do while laying in bed and unable to sleep, I was thinking about random NBA things. And, and a lightning bolt kind of hit my brain. I, I guess I would describe my reaction to the James Harden trade. I wrote a column about it. I did a podcast about it as like, I get it. I don't, I don't love it. I don't, I don't think it like vaults the Clippers onto the Nuggets level. I don't think, I don't think they're going to win the championship. I'm also not of the opinion that that should be the bar for every trade. Like you either make it because you're as good as Denver or you don't make it because you're not as good as Denver. I don't like that bar. Uh, I, I said they were better post-trade than they were pre-trade. And, and that alone, I thought, was like, okay, like I get it. Don't love it. I get it. I'm not going to slam it. And then I was laying in bed. And I and I thought, my brain just thought, why why are, are you and others so much less excited about this? And I'm on the more excited end of the continuum. I mean, like there are a lot of people who just trashed this whole entire enterprise. Why am I so much less excited still than I was when James Harden last played with two superstars in Brooklyn when I thought the team was like going to be unbeatable if they could just just not get in their own way? And of course, they got in their own way every which way they possibly could and broke up so fast that you barely forget the team, barely remember the team even existed. That was James Harden as the point guard with two scorers around him. So why? Why? Why was that team like a no-brainer, like unbelievable team? And this one, I got all these questions. And yeah, Russ is part. And then you think, wait, wait a second. And, and sure enough, Ohm, sure enough, three different people within the Clippers organization yesterday brought that comparison up to me. That Brooklyn team, this Clippers team, what, why, why the differing reactions? And my response was, okay, I, I get it. But here, here, here's, here's why. In the interim, we have experienced... Two more James Harden postseason meltdowns. Two years have passed, which means everybody is two years older. Um, we've had two James Harden trade requests and unhappy pouting uh, his way out of teams. And one like soul-crushing postseason injury to Kawhi Leonard last season, his knee injury against the Phoenix Suns, where it's like, there's Kawhi, Kawhi's back. He's taking the ball from Kevin Durant and dunking. Oh, my God. Shark to plus Kawhi is back. Oh, He's injured. And 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 that's the difference. And the other difference I was talking about with some of their basketball people was, you know, Durant and Kyrie playing off Harden are like pretty thrilled to just let it fly, catch and shoot jumpers. And like one of the big basketball questions about this team was, is Harden, when he's off the ball, 
going to take catch and shoot threes? He was 0 for 1 last night. Is Kawhi going to take catch and shoot threes? He was 2 of 4 last night. That's actually a lot for him. Five between those two guys is not enough. And that's just um, even below all the just sort of general architecture of this team. Who's going to have the ball when? How is it going to flow? How do these puzzle pieces fit? That was my retort to both myself and the Clippers people bringing up the Kyrie, KD, Harden nets. Um, Last night, you could read anything into it that you wanted. It was an ugly performance by the Clippers. They put up 97 points. They struggled to find any kind of rhythm offensively. They had 22 turnovers, several of which were just sort of sloppy, like, oh, we're not used to playing with each other. I threw the ball the wrong way. I threw the ball into the crowd. I threw the ball at Mitchell Robinson's hand four times. 18 offensive rebounds for the Knicks, and that is, to me, um, given the size of this team, an orange flag at the very least going forward. But where you want to be, an optimist. There were little moments, little moments, little snippets here and there that you can point to and say, "Ooh, that's a roadmap to somewhere interesting." Ooh, that's a roadmap to somewhere interesting. Um, then you factor in Mason Plumlee's knee injury, which we're still waiting for the update on. But you know, obviously, I, I'm a worst case scenario guy. Just in my general life, I'm bracing for bad news. How did you come out of this game? And in talking to Ty Lue and the other Clippers coming out of this game, how did they come out of this game? Where did they fall on this? Like, you can kind of see what you want to see thing from this game. Well, I think, one, you you hit it right the nail on the head. Uh, I'm a big old-school R&B fan, as you know, Zach, so I often lean on uh, music that I like, and it just feels with the hardened fatigue and maybe Clipper fatigue combined with that, that you were feeling, it feels like Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? I think that's what people see in James Harden. They see a disgruntled guy that they're probably over complaining his way out of the teams. But listen, I I think the Brooklyn thing was out of his control because I remember being there with him at the start of that camp in San Diego and James was happy. And then all of a sudden, started deteriorating because Kyrie would not get vaccinated. And you could see James being like, what is going on around me? Being asked these questions about vaccinations every day. And then all of a sudden that kind of deteriorated. So and obviously I just, Philadelphia. And I, just turned down, and I just turned down like a massive $200 million yeah. contract extension. That may have been, maybe that was a mistake. Oh, well. Yeah, that was, that was prior to that. I think that kind of was leading into that because that was at the beginning of the month and he could still sign by the end. And remember uh, at the time, Sean Marks was saying, oh yeah, we're going to sign those guys. And all of a sudden they didn't. Um, and then of course the Philadelphia thing left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And, you know, look, this is a guy who averaged 10 assists per game the last three seasons led the league in assists last year, yet people somehow don't view James Harden in that light. The Clippers, though, I think the unique thing about this trade is that Lawrence Frank has said the trade had been public for so long that it gave them time to digest what this trade would look like and really evaluate how he would fit in more so than any other trade they've ever done. So they went back and did watch film of what he did I think it was like Lawrence, like we understand it was like 16 games, but we, you know, we watched it of how he fit in with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Well, and what the Clippers saw was a guy who was a willing passer who kind of took a step back to those guys and was able to kind of just adapt with them. And then what they saw with Joel Embiid was a guy who led the league in assists, um, 
they, in Lawrence Frank's words, took pride in helping Joel Embiid get an MVP trophy. Um, and I think what they, more than anything else, they saw, look, he's an elite passer. Like, this is a franchise that has been looking for an elite point guard to fill the shoes of Chris Paul ever since he departed that franchise when they traded him. And so, like, basically, yeah, they have Russell Westbrook. And Russell brings all the things that they still need, even with James Harden aboard as far as leadership. He has been a leader ever since this, this offseason. Um, the hustle, the energy, crashing the boards, um, the, you know, kind of get in your face attitude to kind of bring up their energy level. He still brings all of those things. But Harden is the elite passer. And we saw a snippet of that last night. I know you like that pick and roll you saw with him and Zubats, where he just spun the ball around a defender and it curved into Zubat's hands. Zu caught it. Thankfully, he didn't fumble it, then end up drawing the foul. We didn't really see that again after that. Uh, we saw a lot of like, like I couldn't believe how many passes were deflected last night. It looked like basically Mitchell Robinson, team, Mitchell Robinson was everywhere, everywhere. It, I mean, they look like a team that just kind of came together and, and we understood that was going to happen. But there were a couple red flags to me. One, the rebounding issue when they face a small, a bigger team, uh, they're going to be in trouble. Like they, if you remember the loss at Utah, second game of the year, when Tyloo went small, Lori Marketing killed them. I absolutely killed them on the inside. And even though I think all four of their stars are above average rebounders for their position, if they're dealing with a big like Mitchell Robinson, they're not going to get the rebound. Um, so they got killed there. The turnovers was was disturbing. It led to 35 points for the Knicks. Um, but they were still doing well uh, until Mason Plumley got hurt. And this is a impactful injury for them. I mean, they need as many bigs as they can get, number one. Number two, Mason Plumley, an underrated passer for them who can handle the ball. At one point, <laughs> I think the Knicks took away the point guard option for them. Mason Plumley brought the ball up the floor and actually started the play. <laughs> like, I watched this last night, and I was like, Plumley, man. That. Oh, yeah, yeah. So them losing him is big, and now they immediately need to scramble on the market to find whatever backup bigs they have. Number three, I think they have a major weakness as far as, like, they need a stretch big. Um whether or not who who that could be in the market, I know in the past they've always liked guys like Nas Reed, things like that. I'm not saying that's the answer to them winning a championship, but they do need that kind of guy because they just don't have one on the roster. Um, but I think the four guys, like, you know, James said he actually was winging it last night. He said, like, I, it was a weird feeling not being on a team and starting a season for him. Remember, this is a season opener for him uh, without having a training camp. So he said, I felt like I was just out there winging it. He said the game felt very fast in the beginning. He was a little out of shape. He was winded. He played 31 minutes, I believe. Tyloo wanted to play him. I think 28 the plan was going in. He said, I told Tyloo, no, let's do 30 to 34. And then, of course, all the starters got pulled with four minutes ago. So who knows what would happen if that was a tight game. Um, Kawhi Leonard said, given the circumstances of what we saw and how he was still kind of working his conditioning, and he was like, the hardest thing to do is get your legs underneath yourself when you haven't played. He's like, besides that, I he, I liked what I saw. And Paul George was very encouraged by what he saw. Now, Paul George took a step back. He finally cooled off after this all-star tear he's been on. Um, I think it was like two for 10 last night. 10 points, didn't look good. He's the one that I worry about with the big four 
not that, you know, his talent or anything like that. It's his 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 mentality is that he wants everything to work. So, and he and he 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 wants that so bad that he's the guy that could just say, I'm going to defer to these other guys. And I think Paul George is a guy that should not be deferring the way he's been playing this season. And probably Ty Lue should probably pair him a lot with Russell Westbrook because I think there is such a comfort level between those two that those two kind of give each other confidence uh, when they're together. And so far from that start of the season, you could see it. So I still feel optimistic about this playoff time. I know everybody's like, oh, you're going to see Harden kind of fall apart, things like that. They don't need James Harden not to steal James John Wall's, you know, quotes from last year, but they don't need James Harden to be Batman. You know what I mean? He, they, they just need him to really kind of set up Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, get them open looks. And then offensively, I liked what I saw last night with the second team. Tyloo wants to run him with the second unit, and that allows James Harden to cook. And I think he also can maybe make that second unit better. That second unit, though, takes a blow right now with Mason Plumley. It didn't look good, Zach. I mean, I, I, I've i watched Mason Plumley most of his career. I was there with, with him in Brooklyn his rookie year. I've rarely ever seen him stay down on the floor like that and never seen him carry it off like that. Well, let, let's start there at the center position because if he's out for an extended period of time, it's a, it's a, it means something to their team. You know, they still have a chip or two to play on the trade market. And if they stabilize and they're good, not great, but good, and they think, well, we're we're pretty much all the way in and we're good, but we're not great. Like we're kind of pessimistic of how we how we would match up with Denver, who's just eaten our lunch and spit it in our face for four years now, almost um, dating to the bubble. Uh, and, and I think part of the reason they made this trade was they look below Denver and see kind of a void. You know, the Suns we haven't really seen yet. Everyone in the West is kind of up and down right now. They say, well, why can't we be, you know, a top four team in the West? Like, the, 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 we could be. Look at the look at the landscape. I just think that center position is really interesting to watch because they have that 20-30 first-round pick. And Zoo is good. You know what I kept thinking about last night and since they made this trade? Jonas Valanciunas and how the Raptors, when they really went for it, kind of decided you're pretty good big fella but like championship like when it gets real real hard and when the defenses get real real good we just need someone who's a little better in traffic a little better in high stress situations a little better of a ball mover and a passer under pressure and they went out and got Marcus and I just keep thinking about that trade because Zoo, I like Zoo. Zoo's really good. His contract is like beyond really good. It's one of the all-time great steel heist trades in like <laughs> niche NBA trade history. The Mike Muscala for Zoo trade. Hat tip Lakers. Um and Zoo's fine. Like he's got he's a good screener and dive guy. Um, I think one of the things last night exposed and one of the things that's going to be an issue, not an issue, but interesting going forward as this team evolves into more of a traditional pick and roll team is he's just an okay passer in open space. He, he, he like what the first turnover of the game, I think was a Harden zoo pick and roll. They blitzed Harden bounce past to zoo Russ is in the dunker spot. He tries to thread that ball to Russ and it gets stolen away. He had a couple other turnovers trying to pay and he's just like a beat. He just needs to be a little faster. And you know what? You know what Zoom may just end up being? A really good, like an okay 
starting center who should really be a backup center on a great team. I'm not. I don't know that that's the case, but that's a position where, like, particularly if Mason's out, they obviously have PJ Tucker who can play some small ball five, and we'll see that. We didn't see it for more than like a minute in the debut of Harden. We'll see more of that. I could see them sniffing around. They're they're going to sniff around for a big man upgrade, whether it's a center or a stretch four. And that's the I, I kept thinking about that that Jonas Valanciunas trade last night. But look, on on that's that's the center thing. We all hope Mason's okay. That you just never like to see that. That's it. Just it's just a, I, I'm dangerous. Is like I'm not painting Julius Randle with the dangerous brush. It's just like it's it's a scary play to see, and you see yeah. it happening in real time, and you understand like he had the ball basically. Julius Randle was touching the ball. And kind of stumbled, and so there's no maliciousness there, but we've seen this with over and over with. The word I kept thinking about when when they made the trade was disjointed, and like the talent is the talent, and yes, the Clippers have needed a passer for so long, and they have plenty of shooting. Disjointed just meant to me like there's just so many questions that need to be solved one of them is just Russ like what is Russ doing now that you've introduced this other ball handler they need Russ's pace they need his ferocity but Russ and a center it's just going to get a little cramped sometimes and um, I I think when Terrence Mann comes back that's going to be an interesting debate about who the fifth starter should be are they just going to ride with Russ are they are they I, I have already said like I would try Terrence Mann but this the toothpaste maybe already too far out of the tube with Russ as a starter, and that's fine. He's like played very well for them. Um, and and those Nets teams to go back to that comparison that the Clippers seem very eager to make, like Durant and Kyrie as shooting decision makers, and Kyrie as a ball handler, they just play with a lot of zip. And and Kawhi is a very deliberate player. Like the Nets did not have a non shooter like Russ on the perimeter, and they did not have a second very deliberate kind of player around Harden like the Clippers do and I just last night if you if you could find glimpses right you could find glimpses like I think your most encouraging glimpse midway through the third quarter Kawhi and Harden ran a pick and roll Harden screened for Kawhi because Kawhi was like you got Quentin Grimes on you I can beat the crap out of Quentin Grimes come screen for me switch mid-range bully ball jumper over Quentin Grimes there was like a P Russ to his credit is setting more ball screens than ever in his career as a Clipper. There were PG Russ pick and rolls with Kawhi in one corner and Harden in the other. And boom, Russ would slip and he'd get a layup out of it. Um, early in the fourth quarter, Harden set a, a pretty half-hearted pin down screen for, for Paul George. And it went into a Paul George, Russ, Zoo staggered pick and roll. Russ slipped the pick into open space, made a play. Like, those are your sort of moments of encouragement. And there's another play I want to talk about later that they ran a couple of times. But there was, like, A, it was inconsistent. And B, there was such, like, a plotting station-to-station station element to it. It had no flow. And I, it's it's boring nerd basketball talk, but this this team, if they're going to play, and like those kind of players are the ones that they're going to need to lean more into, aside from just like everyone's going to have to shoot catch and shoot threes off hard and pick and rolls. You mentioned the minutes staggering, like all those questions will be answered. Who plays with who and how long? And I have opinions on that and we'll see how it goes. Those kind of two man games where they're cooperating both on and off the ball. They're just going to have to run them with a little more urgency. Like the off, if you look at their off-ball screening last night, which are which is like an important element of setting these plays up, they're just like just 
like just kind of meandering in the direction of the guy they're split. All that stuff's got to be done with more zip. And look, station to station is the phrase that came to mind. It's hard to win station to station at the highest levels, but then you remind yourself it's the first game. So for James's first game of the season, it's their first game together. Those glimpses are are both hopeful and the way they sprung up within the game was sort of slow and overscripted. Like like you need to get, reach a point as a team where okay, we run that stuff out of a timeout going through our paces cuz Ty Lu calls for it and you say I go here, you go here, I screen here. It has to become part of your identity in a more organic, sort of absorbed into your soul kind of way. And by disjointed in my pre-debut analysis of the trade, I, I what I was trying to conjure was like, it's a long journey from from where they're starting to that kind of organic flow that they're going to need to have. And I just, it's it's a really hard journey to make in one season together, given that these guys are always hurt other than Harden. And given that like a Harden Zoo high pick and roll with Kawhi in one corner and PG in the other is like a complete remaking of one portion of your team, it's just going to take a long time. And that was my a long time and a lot of questions that you just may never be able to answer satisfactorily. Well, the good thing is that they made this trade and they, they said this five games into the season versus, you know, say uh, with only 20 games to go, like they made their trade last year when they got Plumlee and Eric Gordon, those guys, all those trades that they made. Station to station is so perfect because that's exactly what they did. And I, but I think you can live with station to station. They're never, they're not going to become the Golden State Warriors. They can live with station to station if they can take advantage of their mismatches that they're going to have. And I think that's maybe what Ty Lu's envisioning. I think what we have to, I feel a little bit for Ty Lu. Number one, I'm excited for him, but I feel a little bit for him because I'm excited for him because I think he sees the possibilities. I asked him last night pregame, I said, How many are you, have you scripted? how are you going to use your second team and stagger your stars out? And he said, I've done it a thousand times <laughs> because he's had so much time to basically absorb how he thought this trade would look like and what he'd want to do. And I think we saw some interesting lineups last night that he really was like, at one point they didn't even have any of the point guards out. There was no Westbrook. There was no Harden. It was like George Leonard, Norm, PJ Tucker and Plumlee or zoo. Um, he's definitely experimenting out there. B, I think he's going to have to do more pick and roll with Harden. I think he's looking forward to that just because of how elite Harden is on that pick and roll. And whether that's a pick and roll with Kawhi or Paul or a big, I think these are things he's going to experiment with. I think he spent I think, all I the think training last camp. night it was too much big, which is fine, but that's going to render PG and Kawhi in the corners a lot, which is also fine if they're going to shoot. And Paul will shoot. And I want people to go back and watch. There's one possession about halfway through the third quarter where they run a hardened zoo, pick and roll, high up in the middle of the floor. PG's on the left wing. Russ is in the left corner. Russ is a decent corner three-point shooter, by the way. Sneaky thing about Russ. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Kawhi's in the right corner. James draws two. Zoo rolls hard. James kicks to Kawhi. Kawhi's open. Catches the ball, he's open. Pass hits him right here. And that's another thing the Clippers have all been talking about since this trade. James hits you here in the hands every single goddamn time. Oh, my God. And Julius Randle was about 10 feet away from Kawhi, and Kawhi was like, no, nah, I'm going to pump fake and not do anything. Um, <laughs> not 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 do anything, but, like, it was there for him. And yeah, then he yeah. pumps, he drives, he draws the defense, he kicks to Harden at the top of the key. Harden catches the ball, shooting pocket right there. He's got 15 to 20 feet of open space. He doesn't take a three. He pumps, 
Quentin Grimes closes out. He takes one sideways dribble and takes a leaning three that misses. Like, if you're going to run a lot of hard and zoo pick and rolls, one of you two has got to shoot a catch and shoot three and not this leaning off the dribble three. It's just, yeah. it's a fun little window into like a little, a little issue they're going to have to solve. But I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. You know what I'd be interested in, Zach, is to see if James Harden and Kawhi Leonard, when they play a pick and roll and Kawhi is the roller, if it if it can get Kawhi to his mid-range spots. So Ty Lu started this whole training camp emphasizing cutting and passing and backdoor cuts and things like that. He didn't want to be stagnant. He didn't want to have too much of an isolation offense. And then you bring in James Harden, and now you have four of the top 12 guys in isolation possessions in the last decade with James Harden by far number one. Number two is Russell Westbrook, but like by 2,000 possessions fewer, I think, or something like that. But the other night when they were playing the Lakers, um, I had an agent text me. And you know, it's weird. Kawhi started off the season, I think, really trying to do what Ty Lue wanted, which was cutting, passing. But you didn't see him getting to his mid-range spots as much. He was shooting the three a lot, but not getting like dribble, dribble, get in your mid-range spots or catching the ball in the mid-range and working the mid-range until the Laker game. The Laker game, Kawhi started to get back into the mid-range, get in his sweet spots. And I was like, this is good. And you saw the beginning, he was on fire in that game. But an agent texted me during that game and said, Kawhi has to take like seven dribbles to get to his spots. It's not You don't see many stars have to do that in today's game. I replied back, well, I don't know, Luka. Luka takes a lot of dribbles. Uh, Kyrie, you know, obviously the Dallas Mavericks. But I was like, but for the for the Clippers, it's a good thing when Kawhi gets the spots. I get it. It might take a long time. But now when you add James Harden into the mix, like you said, it feels very station to station. And when that ball goes to Kawhi, he's going to have to get to his mid-range spots. And like last night, he... He did not start off that game well. He missed a lot of threes. In the second half, they were like, we need to get Kawhi going. What did Kawhi do? He got to his mid-range spots. And I think Ty Lue was asked about this, like, hey, you said all four guys have to sacrifice. But in the second half, you dialed up Kawhi's number, and it looked like the ball was going to him. Is he the guy that, you know, they're going to have to sacrifice towards? And Ty Lue said, well, yeah, he's our best player. And so <laughs> I think – they're going to have to find a way to get Kawhi into those mid-range spots a little quicker, probably. Maybe that pick and roll uh, is something they could do that could do that. Um, I think Kawhi probably is going to have to, probably his sacrifice is going to have to get used to doing more catch and shooting. We know Paul George can do it. Russell Westbrook obviously is going to have to be stationed in the corner, um, like you said, where he's he's more underrated. But I think there's a lot more tinkering. I, I thought this was interesting. I asked Tyloo last night post game. Uh, how many games in your mind do you think you need to before you know what how you're going to have to make this work and how it will work? He interrupted me and said 10. I think 10 games is a pretty fast uh, that's, that's, amount of time low. for him to realize that. I think what he's doing, though, is saying, I'm going to take this in a 10-game stretch. Whatever I tried in the first 10 games, if it's not working, we'll try something else. I'm not saying the lineup, though. I do think Terrence Mann will be back within those 10 games. He has been practicing on a limited basis. He was named a starter before the regular season. Then he injured himself, and we haven't seen that. Is he a better fit than Russell Westbrook in this five? Probably so. I don't think Ty Lue, though, can make that change right now. I would not do it. I would not risk losing Russ mentally. I think Russ is very happy. I do think 
this James Harden thing is shaking things a little bit. Um, and I think Russ is going to try his best. Um, but I think you want you don't want to lose anybody mentally this early in the season. And I think they're going to have to try Russ in that starting lineup for as long as they can. Well, look, I mean, it just depends on what kind of work has been done behind the scenes because the upside, as you said, of this trade being rumored for, I don't know, four months is that the coaches have had a lot of time to talk to the players about this is what life looks like if this dude gets here. And one of those conversations should have been with Russell Westbrook being like, hey, man, there might be a world where we need you to come off the bench again. If that conversation has happened, like at least, you know, there's some groundwork laid for it. But you nailed the like, like um, Ty Lu saying after the game, Kawhi shouldn't be the one who has to sacrifice so much is a nice way of saying he's the best player in the team still. It's just like it's a fundamentally difficult basketball problem to get James Harden, give James Harden the ball a lot, and also not have Kawhi Leonard dramatically change the way he plays. Like it's very hard to do both of those things because James is going to have the ball. I'm just going to run a ton of pick and roll. Some of it will be with Kawhi. More of it should probably be with Kawhi than we saw in the first game. That's fine. It's one game. That's just that's what I mean by the, there's just these intractable things that there are only going to be half solutions for. And part of the half solution is like, you just got to execute. Like one of the turn, I watched all their 22 turnovers again this morning. One of them was (laughs) a blowing up handoff between zoo and Russ, where the defense, I think DiVincenzo, who was outstanding last night and hit the closest thing to a dagger when guess what? James Harden failed to box him out. He rebounded the three and then made a three in the opposite corner. DiVincenzo blows up the handoff. Why does the handoff happen? The handoff happens because the play is a set play where they give the ball to Zoo at the elbow. Russ, who has Jalen Brunson on him, and that's the point, sets a back screen for Kawhi Leonard. The whole point of that play is to put the Knicks in a position where Jalen Brunson either has to switch onto Kawhi Leonard, which is a disaster, or Kawhi Leonard cuts to the rim or somebody cuts open somewhere. The screen is a total non-screen. It misses completely. The Knicks are not compromised at all. Russ jogs into a handoff and it gets blown up by whoever is guarding him. Like that, maybe it was Brunson. I guess like that's the kind of stuff that just needs to be executed better. But like this, it's just a very tricky. Like I'm, I find it fascinating because it's a very tricky puzzle to solve. And Russ is a very tricky player with which to have around off the ball, hovering here and there, trying to trying to solve it. And it's. It's going to be really interesting, and the size and the rebounding was a glaring thing. But, man, by the way, just as an aside, thinking about the Nets, what a week for the Brooklyn Nets. Just what a perfect encapsulation of the Nets and the Clippers are these, like, parallel weak sisters in their city franchises. The Nets had to be looking at this week's schedule like, man, we got Milwaukee with Dame and Giannis coming in on Monday. The Barclays Center is going to be rocking it's never been rocking ever except for a liberty game but um uh and then on wednesday we get james harden and the clippers on in their second game together what a week for us then they look at the schedule like oh my god james harden's first game is at new york at madison square garden the day the bucks are here and then when he comes here to barclay center when is at madison square garden the nets just can't get your break the other thing I haven't listened to Podcast P, the latest Podcast P, Mm -hmm. Paul George's podcast. Law Murray, who covers the Clippers for The Athletic, has this excerpt. Um, He tweets it. Paul George on the Podcast P show, watching Harden in practice on Friday. Haven't seen that many lobs since I've been here. Lobby, lobby, lobby. Om. (laughs) We saw one lob last night. It did not work out well. Do you remember that one? No, but I'm just saying, if you are of the belief... 
that the Clippers are cosmically cursed. And I am not, but some are. My my friend and former boss, Bill Simmons, is just all in on like, something's just wrong with the franchise. I read that excerpt, Lobby, Lobby, Lobby. And like a chill went down my spine <laughs> because I immediately thought back to Blake Griffin and DeAndre yep. Jordan on the bus. Lob City, baby, when Chris Paul's coming. And although that was quite a successful era of Clippers basketball by the sad-ass standards of Clippers basketball pre-2010, it ultimately will be defined as like they still couldn't make the conference finals. Now, this team has already made the conference finals, excuse me, in 2021. But I read that and I was like, oh, no, no lob, no lob predictions. It's just dredging up ghosts of the past. But look, I disappointing debut, clunky debut. The clunks were to be expected. Um, it's just going to be a very interesting puzzle to solve. Well, I asked James after the game. I said, "Lobby, lobby, so lobby, lobby." <laughs> but by the way, the lob I was talking about—he tried a lob to Zoo, and it flew over Zoo's head. And I thought, maybe he probably thought maybe this was a lob that he was throwing for Clint Capella. <laughs> Because Zoo just wasn't athletic enough to catch that and dunk it. It wasn't a bad pass. It just was. It just flew over his head. And there was no attempt for it. Um, I asked James after the game. I said, "Now that you've been on the court with them in a real game, what do you see as the possibilities? Can you see the possibilities?" He said, "Yes, unlimited possibilities of what they can do together." Um, see, I, I, I could like probably I, I could probably picture some limits. Um, that's all. I'm, like <laughs> I could picture some limits. In the space-time continuum, you know, you know, you you're putting like basically those speed traps they got on the West Side Highway on the Clippers right now, where you can't, lobby, like, lobby, lobby. <laughs> like I was in my Uber the other day going to South Street Seaport to do some TV ads, and my my Uber driver's going thirty miles an hour, and people are surpassing us. But I was, I'm so used to like when I used to live here in New York, I used to fly down that West Side Highway. I'm like, why is he going thirty? And then I see all these like little cameras up high, and the security guard was like, "Oh yeah, you know, you can't speed on there anymore. You can't even go forty-five on thirty-five. They'll ticket you." But I, I, I think it's got to be just like you said, state. If it's going to be station to station, and I think you will see a lot of that. They got to take advantage of the mismatch that they find on that court. Yeah, you got to be in even the right at, stations. It's got to be the right stations. At the very least, you got to get it to the right. They'll station have a at the mismatch. Right they will have a mismatch somewhere on the floor with those four guys. They just got to, you know, they got to basically execute. They got to identify that mismatch and attack it as fast as they can. And it did not look good against them. I mean, they made the Knicks look great last night. Well, and just an interesting thing, you know, you mentioned the staggering and this will all be worked out. My initial opinion was like they should just stagger Harden and Kawhi as much as possible because they just both need the ball so much. And last night mm. they played 20 minutes together. Harden and PG played 22 minutes together, so pretty close. But of those 20 minutes that Harden and Kawhi played together, 18 were part of the starting five. So they were pretty dramatically um, staggered. That starting five was minus 13, I think, in 18. How many minutes did Russ and PG play together? Uh, let me tell you. And then Russ and, then Russ and, Russ and Harden. Westbrook and PG, 31 minutes. That was the biggest uh, duo on the team tied mm -hmm. with PG and Kawhi Leonard. PG is like, you know... The guy who just fits with everybody. That's one of his great skills as a basketball player. I, I hope But I, I think there's a comfort level there mentally for those two. And then how long did he have Russ and Harden together? Russ and Harden, 21 minutes. So the other pairings all pay, played about 20 to 22 minutes. Look, we're going to have a long time to dig into this. But it, it did feel – it felt like a game last night. Like when Harden came out to warm up, 
all of a sudden, like, here comes the paparazzi, mm-hmm. the NBA version of the pop, the baseline paparazzi is like, oh, my God. And I was sitting there courtside talking to a scout. And all of a sudden, I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to be like on all these <laughs> all these pregame shows. Um, oh, many parting thoughts on the Clippers debut where they go from here. Obviously, we're waiting on the Plumlee um, news and knocking on wood and all of that. Any other parting thoughts? Um, I Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch, especially what Ty Lue does. I think Ty Lue right now is a kid in a candy shop and he's trying to figure out all the rotations, how he's going to make this work. I think he's very excited about that. Um, I don't think they, they obviously want to win as many games as possible, but I think it's going to be, it's going to take longer than expected. I don't think this is going to happen in 10 games. I just don't. I, I think Ty Lue may get an idea after 10 games of what he needs to change and tweak and things like that. But I don't think he's going to know after 10 games, like bingo, dot, 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 dot. It's going to work just like this. So I think it's going to take time. But I I find it fascinating. Like I said, I think it makes them better in the Western Conference. Does it make them a championship team? No. Does it give them a chance to get to the Western Conference finals? Absolutely. Do, can they still, you know, handle Jokic? No. <laughs> like, But nobody else can in, in the Western Conference, in my mind at least. You're hoping that when you get to the Western Conference Finals, you don't face Denver and somebody else knocks Denver off or where you just have to try to figure out how to combat Jokic when when you get there, but at least just get there for now. And I think that's what Harden does. He raises the ceiling for them and also helps out Kawhi Paul. See, they would, of course, bristle at the are they a championship contender? No declaration because they would answer yes. We, we, we in our vision, if this hits, if this hits, and obviously they, they have more ifs than any other team in the NBA, number one of which we've barely talked about, are the stars going to be healthy? Um, but yeah, there's to, to me, there's just I a mean, ton of questions. I mean, when I say championship contender, I, I measure it to the Denver Nuggets. That's what I think right now. And I think all teams should be measured to the Denver Nuggets. And I just don't see them. You know, I found it interesting, Zach, that I don't know, like usually after a great player like Nikola Jokic has this incredible historic tear through the playoffs and wins the championship and finals MVP, you tend to see historically NBA teams try to match up with this guy and load up and say, we're going to stop this guy and this is how we're going to do it. Or we're going to combat this guy. I didn't see a lot of teams loading up with pigs i get how the nba is you know this you know this in this era but you didn't see a lot of nba teams be like we need to we need a little another big to like at least throw it Jokic. maybe the lakers did it to a certain degree maybe the kings i think the clippers are seeing it that like we're small and like we're gonna attack everybody else but we're not like as evidence last night if they face Nikola Jokic, they're in trouble they're not going to be able to stop him inside and so i think you're gonna have to double team the heck out of him and then figure everything out. And maybe that's what they're thinking. I, I think what they also look at is like the way Kawhi Leonard played in those first two games last year against Phoenix. If he's healthy, I know had they gotten past Phoenix, had Kawhi Leonard stayed healthy and they would have faced the Denver Nuggets in the second round. I, would t- I talked to some Denver people. And then the Denver people was like, oh, the way Kawhi was playing, he was going to be a problem. They weren't like they still thought they yeah. would get past the Clippers. But they also were like they recognized like, hey, Kawhi would have been a problem if we faced him in that second round. Look, I've talked a lot about the whole didn't teams didn't do anything to counter Jokic. I, I think they did. I just I, I just don't think the way you're describing is the way to counter Jokic. And I and I but I, that said, I do think PJ Tucker is a, a little a little um, PJ Tucker on Jokic. We have very limited evidence that it actually yeah. is a thing, but it was a thing for a few minutes in Philly last year. 
yeah. of the, a half, really. And I, I think that half meant something to the Clippers in the equation of this trade, even though getting off of P.J. Tucker's money was a sort of a mandate for the Sixers That's in true. the trade. But anyway, we've got a long way to go. Ong Young Masuki doing an outstanding job covering the Clippers. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the Barclays Center on Wednesday where nobody will be except <laughs> you. You'll have the whole run of the place. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Zach. All right, now it's time to bounce around some of the rest of the teams in the Western Conference that we haven't talked much about. Nobody better to do that with than our own Tim McMahon. How are you, sir? Howdy, partner. Doing all right. How about yourself? I'm good. And and look, East teams, I see you. Indiana, number one offense in the league, just hung 150-something on Wemby and the Spurs. I see you. We'll get to you. Philly, 5-1, second-best net rating in the entire NBA. Joel, 48 points last night. Tyrese Maxey's passing, getting better every game. He never turns the ball over. I see you. We've talked a lot about you. We'll get to you. Don't worry. West, Tim McMahon, you've spent a lot of time around the bearded one. I was in attendance at his debut, long awaited. Kind of a fart of a debut for everybody involved. Do you have any any thoughts you want to get in? I would say fart would be an excellent description. I think James Harden is realizing what a bunch of folks with gray in their beards realizes man basketball is a tough game to play if you take a while off <laughs> so you know i'll actually see the clippers in dallas uh friday um we'll see how much of the rust is chipped off there um at least he's he he looks lean you know i don't think necessarily conditioning is a problem in the sense of like he doesn't need to shed weight or any of that kind of stuff but Tough to tough to play at NBA speed when uh, the only thing you've been doing is trying to get your way out of, of Philly for the last few months. Hey, look, seventeen points on six and nine shooting, good passing. Like all, he he was all right defensively. He was kind of the effort was there. I, I thought their effort overall kind of faded as the game went on. First half, I thought he was rotating and they're switching a lot, one through four. That switching creates mismatches on the other end. He was trying. They were all trying. And then it, the defense kind of petered out. I did. I forgot to tell you, to, to mention one thing when I had Oman about the Clippers. I felt like an old man last night in terms of a little NBA nostalgia to McMahon. Would you like to hear how? Do I have any choice? Of course I'm No, like, you do don't. <laughs> um, so we, I spent all this time with Ohm talking about, you know, plays that were emblematic of like, if this is going to work. This mm-hmm. is kind of how it's going to work. And I forgot that the first play of the second half, Kawhi got a dunk. And the set was Russ brings the ball up, hands it to Harden, goes down and sets a pin down on the left wing for Kawhi. Kawhi curls around the pin down, catches the ball, has an advantage, goes in the paint and dunks. They ran the same set the next time down the floor. Didn't work as well, but it was a good attempt at synergy, some synergy. And then my brain said, hey, hey, idiot. Hey, we've seen that before, old guy. And then I remembered when all of them were on the Thunder, not Kawhi, obviously, mm-hmm. this was their go-to play, this same exact play for a while, and most famously against Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs. Russ would bring the ball up, pitch it to Harden, go down and set a pin down for Kevin Durant, and it would be either Tony Parker has to switch on to Kevin Durant or Kawhi's got to chase him over the screen and, and KD's going to get open, and I thought... Wow, what a good, what a fun encapsulation of how much NBA history is involved in this weird yeah. Clippers super team that they're running the same set and they're running it for Kawhi Leonard, who used to be the target of it eight, nine, ten years ago in San Antonio. And it was again just kind of slow and station to station. But the right idea, the right idea, Tim. That's all just like start with the right idea. Give me the yeah. germ of a right idea. Listen, right idea. You, I, 
I know they had a little mini camp, four day mini camp. Like there's a reason teams have training camp and even pre-camp workouts. I don't think that we can really jump to any conclusions about the Clippers until probably what trade deadline ish time. I mean, it's, at, it's at going least to take a month, a while. at least right. a month. And All right. I, interesting to me that they basically are having the rotation where the second units is hardens to run instead of what to me would make the most sense. And that's bringing Russ off the bench to, to run that second unit. Then, you know, obviously you've got ego stuff involved, but again, we'll see how things play out over the next few months there. We shall see. It is one of the more interesting puzzle pieces. And it might just be one of those puzzle pieces. Like my, my daughter got a puzzle a, a few weeks ago where some of the pieces are big, some of the pieces are tiny and some of the pieces are medium. And this is supposed to make it like somehow more user friendly. And I'm like, do they fit? Do they work? And maybe, maybe it's, it might be that kind of puzzle where you're like, wait, well, is this a piece from a different puzzle? How this yeah. Donald Duck piece doesn't fit in this Grinch puzzle. I don't know what's going on here. Anyway, some of the pieces are a puzzle unto themselves. Wow. Let's, let's just pause on that first. Take that in, people. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, as we bounce around some of the top teams in the Western Conference, 4-2 and two beat Boston and have already beaten Denver. Those teams have one loss apiece, both to the Minnesota Timberwolves. The T-Wolves are 18th in offense and first with a bullet in defense, fourth in net rating. And even though they are winning with defense – to your point about training camps and fit and patience, this is a team that didn't have any of that last year in integrating yeah. its two big guys. They're winning with defense. Some of their lineups are going to have to manufacture points like the Nas Reed, Gobert, Nas Reed, Cat. Like those lineups have been pretty shaky offensively. They're getting lucky with the opponent shooting. But Cat and Rudy Gobert on the floor, 117 offensive rating, 108 defensive rating. That's pretty damn good. And Tim McMahon, I had to check the stats. The Minnesota Timberwolves of the Timberwolves of Minnesota, third lowest opponent free throw rate in the entire NBA. This is a team that has just fouled as if fouling is good for eons. Tenth in defensive rebounding. They have discovered boxing out and and not giving up offensive rebounds all the time. Something interesting is happening here. I was high on the Wolves before the season. I, I had him as a pretty good bet to be a top six seed and potentially home court in the first round. It's still kind of a weird team. Um, mm -hmm. The Cat Rudy fit is still, you can see him feeling him out like Cat's got to space a lot and pick his spots to drive and play bully ball. But something's working here. And I mean, some what was working in overtime in the fourth quarter last night was Anthony Edwards just raining jumpers over everybody. But uh, what what have you seen? I mean, two things are working. One, Anthony Edwards, it looks like he's making a leap to being an all-star to an all-NBA player, you know, an all-star to one of the top fill-in-the-blank. I don't feel like debating the number, but a pretty small number of players in the league. That's one. And related, they will be the best defensive team in the league if they are, have three guys healthy. That's a three-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. Jaden McDaniels, who is absolutely an all-defensive candidate, a six-foot-ten guy who's a hell of a perimeter defender. You don't see that too often. And then Anthony Edwards, who is – I mean, is there a, a scorer of his caliber who is that capable defensively, that good defensively, who's willing to take the challenge like he did, uh, you know, especially late against Tatum? So they're going to be 
a great defensive team. They might have three all defensive team players uh, in that starting five. And, you know, what's interesting, you mentioned the numbers with Rudy and, and Kat, the, the offensive numbers, very encouraging, small sample size, blah, blah, blah. Kat has not made shots this season. Cat is shooting in the 30s from the floor, low 20s from three-point range. They beat the Boston Celtics last night when Cat had twice as many turnovers as buckets, also twice as many fouls as buckets. Um, so, you know, so I think you can you can look at that a couple of different ways. Cat is going to warm up offensively, like you know, Spigs Bamote, self-proclaimed greatest shooting big man of all time. Um, I think that might be a little exaggerated, but he's on the short list. Like nobody doubts the man's ability to put the ball in the hole. So the fact that they are four and two with arguably the two best wins of the season by any team uh, without him cooking is is really impressive and interesting. Um, so you can say, hey, really impressive, and Cat will get going. The other thing I think you can look at is long term fit. You know, I mean, this is Anthony Edwards' team. That much is obvious. I'm not um, going to let you spoil okay. the Timberwolves' I- optimism by pointing out that this team is financially unviable beyond this season. I'm not going. We're not going to let that cloud our fun. To your point about Cat, I do think that the, even though the offensive numbers are good and Gobert looks great, by the way, I, you know what opponents are shooting at the rim against Gobert? Not very high, I would guess. Thirty-seven percent. That's like a fake. That's like, is something wrong with the data? Like that's not even possible. He looks great offensively. He's catching lobs. He's, Rudy's doing Rudy. Rudy is back. Rudy is being Rudy. Right. I think. I think Rudy's presence. Cat is kind of you. The best word. Cat is just frazzled all the time. He looks frazzled. Like his turnovers are frazzled. His fouls are frazzled. He starts yelling at he, himself and pulling out his hair literally after mistakes sometimes. And offensively, I think he's trying to figure out, like, hold up, I'm Carl Anthony Towns, and like that yeah. dude, that dude has the ball all the time, and that other dude is the main screen setter. So I gotta like spot up a lot and then pick my spots. Like he had three straight drives against Drew Holiday in the third quarter last night where he just kind of like caught the ball and was like, I can face this guy up and and put him in the basket, even though he's Drew Holiday. I think that's been challenging for him. One thing I'd like to see Chris Finch do is anytime Ants on the bench. Cat's in the game and he gets to play yeah. center. Anytime Cat's on the bench, Ant's in the game. I want no minutes with the two of them on the bench together. Let them each cook independently. Yeah, Cat needs to have his times where he's the focal point of the offense. And obviously those times are going to be in the, what, 12 minutes per game that uh, Ant rests. You know, the problem with Cat at center is their second best offense player has been Nas Reed so far this season. And so, like... I don't want to take minutes away from him. Um, again, the the cat thing, one, I do think that he will get going and, and he's at least going to be a, a good offensive player, right? And I I don't think that they're I, – I think long-term they've got to figure out exactly what fits best around Anthony Edwards. I don't think long-term cat will be part of that. Um, i tell you who will be, though, is Jaden McDaniels, who – you know, it's interesting. Um, some of our colleagues had their top 25 under 25. Um, McDaniels, I don't believe, made that list, but he's in the conversation. Again, we're talking about one of the best defensive players in the NBA and a developing offensive player. Um, made some big shots down the stretch 
last night. And I think the other long-term question with this team is uh, obviously point guard. You know, Mike Conley, um, 36 years old, I think really does a good job kind of keeping the train on track. Gobert definitely benefits from having Conley there as, as an organizer, as a guy that he has chemistry with. But, you know, obviously he's a, he's a stopgap solution. I wonder if their long-term point guard solution is going to be Anthony Edwards. I wonder if he can develop and, you know, I say point guard, lead guard, right? That's what you're hearing around the league a lot. Obviously, you know, it's what the Suns are doing with, with Devin Booker. You see it with uh, with other teams. I wonder if he can develop enough as a playmaker to where it's just, hey, let's just surround this guy with wings, you know, get another guy with some playmaking ability, but wings who can guard and shoot and, and make plays and put the ball in his hands and, you know, see how good he can be. You mentioned Nas Reed. I was I was one of the minor concerns I had amid my Timberwolves cockeyed optimism is it doesn't seem great that arguably their most important bench player plays the same position as two of their starters, mm-hmm. but they've made it work. And last year it didn't work. The Nas Tech Cat Nas Rudy lineups were bad. This year they're both in the positive, and the Na- the Nas Cat one is like very much in the positive. We'll see. Worth monitoring. But I've come what I've come to like about it is. It feels like they have seven starters between their actual starters and Nas Reed and Kyle Anderson, who just fits yeah. like a glove in every possible lineup construction. And one of my favorite little things that the Wolves do is anytime a team plays zone against them and they've played, I think believe they've played Miami already, you threw some zone at them. They just bring Kyle Anderson in the game. Like you go to the center of the foul line and we're going to run our whole zone offense through you. And he just makes the right decision uh, every time. And uh, Jaden McDaniels couldn't agree more. They are... Look, Ant will slip up now and then away from the ball. Defensively on the ball, he is a, right. a freaking hellhound and and stood up Tatum with the game on the line last night. Regardless, even like Towns is, let's be generous and say hit or miss defensively. Regardless, they are massive, massive across the board. And like when the ball starts moving around, offenses feel that size like all of a sudden there's just like arms and bodies and limbs like in the way and like flying at you that you don't necessarily expect and you're bang on about Jaden making shots last night the Celtics disrespected him put Porzingis on him put Horford on him when Horford was the center and said don't don't guard him just let him shoot and my favorite play of the game was Ant left corner pump fake drive one dribble he didn't overdo it he didn't overthink it he didn't wait the extra dribble immediate pass across the court to Jaden McDaniels with the defense still rotating away from McDaniels who drained a three. Um, He had a couple, he had a couple dishes to McDaniels for threes there late. And, you know, McDaniels didn't shoot the ball well for most of the game, but, and Ant talked about this after the game, he trusts him. And he says, Hey, that dude's one of our best players. Like essentially if he's open, he's getting the ball. We want him shooting it. And man, they're going to be a tough, tough tandem for a long time to come. I did think we talked about financial future moving forward for the Wolves. I thought they got McDaniels on a pretty good number. You know, I thought that was obviously he's he's going to make a lot of money. Um, I, I thought that was a, a pretty nice number for the Timberwolves. Totally agree. Um, he's a good player. Now we'll see what he does. You know, eventually, if one of these high usage players does have to go or multi, like Conley's a free agent as well. Kyle Anderson's a free agent. Like, we'll see how many ball handlers they have. Is he going to, Jaden McDaniels is going to have to carry a heavier load at some point. He has a kind of a minuscule usage role right now. Look, offensively, again, they're 18th. 
their shooting numbers are they don't get up a lot of threes and they don't get to the rim a lot. They've kind of a high turnover team. Like they've they've got to get a little cleaner offensively, but the talent it it's not always going to look great, right? It's going to look clunky some nights. It's going to look weird some nights. Cat's going to lumber around and throw some hook passes over his head that hit Glenn Taylor in the face. But like the talent, the talent's there, and like in a West that's kind of muddled below Denver. I just, I kind of like this team. I don't know where it's going to your point, but you know what, Tim? I'm trying to be a more positive person. I'm just going to enjoy the Timberwolves season. I'm not going to worry. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to enjoy the season. Okay. Anything well, the season else on- and the fact of building around a, what's, uh, and now 22, like a 22 year old, I think I'm right on the age, but a stud, a young stud. Like they, you've got that guy to build around for the next decade. Now, you know, obviously they gave up a lot of assets, et cetera, et cetera. But man, they're going to have a chance as long as Anthony Edwards is around to, to, to be a, you know, a force. And they feel like they match up well with the nuggets. You know, it's funny. Everyone talks about how well they played them in the playoffs. And, and I go back and like, how long did that series last? But they felt like, you know, they felt like, Hey, we match up as well with the nuggets as anybody. And then one regular season game, very early in the season, but they did hand the Nuggets their one loss and you know did it in pretty convincing fashion. There's something about their size and physicality that on the nights when they don't get in their own way, they're just uncomfortable to play against. Like the Nuggets series, I heard the people mocking it. Like, oh my God, nothing. No, rarely has a has more been made of a five game series loss. But that was one of those series. Like if you watched it, a lot of people check out of a series that goes three zero or two zero. You know where it's going. If you watched it, you saw something. You didn't quite know what, but like that was a real something. And I mentioned they had seven, they have seven starters. If you want to look at it that way, two of them right. didn't play that series, right. including McDaniel's. Mm-hmm. So I, that meant something to me. It didn't necessarily mean like, wow, what a triumph! Like you know, just this the cat going on Pat Bev's podcast. I think it was and be like, what we accomplished was almost as as equivalent to what the Nuggets accomplished. Well, that, that, like, that was that was their play in title. <laughs> let's let's just let's let's just have a Tim Connolly's got to sit down and just like you know what, man. Just if a podcast invite comes, I don't even care if it's like our internal team podcast. Just like turn that one down. Just like just bag that one for the year. But they're they're a decent team. Okay, Timberwolves. Goodbye. Oh, uh, just one note on Boston. Just monitor it. Jason Tatum on the floor, 123 offensive rating, plus 22 per 100 possessions for the season. Early, small sample size. Blah blah, as you said. Jason Tatum off the floor, 107 points per 100 possessions, minus five points per 100 possessions net rating. Just something to monitor because they're starting to throw the kitchen sink at the non-Tatum lineups. Drew, you're in. Jalen, you're in. Chris Stapps, you're in. And like they gotta gotta figure that out. But Boston's awesome. Next, Lakers. Lakers. Three and four coming off a uh, a thriller. If you like two minutes and 39 seconds of scoreless basketball to end your games, which I did. I thought it was fun. A thrilling loss to the Miami Heat, uh, who are also three and four. Uh, Anthony Davis got hurt again, in and out again, and finally out with a hip strain. Apparently not serious. Uh, the Lakers have been missing Gabe Vincent, Jaron Vanderbilt, Torian Prince for some some parts of the season came back last night. And Rui Hachimura, among others. Uh, Jackson Hayes didn't play last night either. The Lakers for the season, Mr. McMahon. And I keep hammering this, and it has it's it's like it's it's boring to keep hammering something, but it just yeah. is. It's a fact. They're tw- they're twenty fourth in offense. 
They were a bad half-court offense last year. Regular season and playoffs. They are currently a bad half-court offense, despite having LeBron James and Anthony Davis on their team. If they See, can't I thought find... you were going to hand with LeBron without LeBron numbers, which are well, also... <laughs> those are... Uh, would you like to recite them since you brought them up? Uh, I'd have to look it up real quick. I have them. I have them. Okay, go for it. For the season, LeBron James on the floor, 114 offensive rating, 104 defensive rating, plus 53 total points in some amount of minutes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. LeBron on the bench, 88 offensive rating. That's hard to do. 125 defensive rating, minus 77 points in 95 minutes. That's like you might as well play four dudes. Just like it, it wouldn't be much worse than that if you just played four guys. Well, and it, and it's you know they come into the season after the opener. Oh yeah, we're going to limit limit LeBron to thirty minutes per game, and then real quick it's like mm, no, we're not. We can't. Um, so obviously that that's concerning. Um, and look, a big part of their offensive struggles is is Austin Reeves, who uh, was awesome last year. Certainly is an ascending talent. He's gotten off to a rough start. Um, you know, I think the I think the haircut has helped. I think his his it's flopping less now, and it was getting to the point where I was starting to get Alfred Payton. Like, is the hair is the hair distracting him? And now it's it's closer shaven and it's a little less floppy. There you go. And look, last night um, the the game ends with LeBron making, quote-unquote, the right play to get Cam Reddish a wide-open three-pointer with you know at the buzzer. There's a lot of uh, Cam Reddish going on right yeah, now. But well, it's, it's, Cam Redd- it's Cam open for a reason, Reddish. Um, a lot of Cam Reddish going on. You say, what the hell is Cam Reddish doing in the game? And then you mentioned all those guys who were out, and then D'Angelo Russell managed to get himself tossed from that game. Oh, I forgot about that. He did get tossed. Yeah. You're right. So it's like, well, Cam Reddish is in the game because like there's, there weren't a whole lot of other options there which isn't great um you know i i take a lot of jabs at uh at, at christian wood because i'm a dallas resident <laughs> and saw it up close listen he has been like the christian wood on off numbers are almost as glaring as the lebron numbers he's been everything they could have possibly hoped that he would be uh so far this season i don't think there was any conception within their brain trust that they would be using christian wood this much, this late, in this many close games. LeBron, AD, and Wood together at the 3-4-5 with Wood spacing and AD rolling, yeah. plus 58 in 54 minutes together. Yeah, and, um, and part of it is they, they you know, you mentioned their injuries. Like, they don't have Vanderbilt. They don't have Hachimura. Like, they don't have a lot of other options. But he has also uh, earned those minutes. And, I mean, you talk about a guy who's, who's playing to – stay in the league like he was a september minimum signing you know a guy who thought he was an all-star is it was a september minimum signing maybe eight teams in this is finally his wake-up call the, the talent certainly is uh has never been in question but as well as he's played it's you know a, a sub 500 team and it, it's interesting because you know they obviously made some significant changes at the trade deadline last year finished the season strong made a run to the uh, Western Conference Finals. They got a bronze broom for the most competitive sweep in NBA history. The Tim there. McMahon bronze. I think you you created the bronze room. The Tim yeah. McMahon bronze room. We just should yeah. name it after you. Wendy was looking for a place to put a banner up, and I just decided to, to most competitive sweep ever. I just decided to give it, you know, put something in the trophy case instead. But 
they opted for continuity coming off of all that, right? And it's this is one of those things where we will never know. But I think if they would have been aggressive in clearing out cap space, that Kyrie, I mean, listen, it's no secret Kyrie Irving had interest in reuniting with LeBron James and vice versa. They couldn't have paid what the Mavericks ended up paying, um, but they could have gotten reasonably close. And one of the what ifs are, what if they'd have done that? Would they be better off? I tell you this, they wouldn't be one of the worst half-court offensive teams in the league. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm going to TBD that one. Uh, I I, I, I need a little more time uh, on both fronts. You know, it's weird, though, because they didn't get Kyrie. They didn't go after Kyrie. They did get Gabe Vincent, who's a point guard of, uh, you know, kind of a hybrid guard, let's say. Austin Reeves, who handles the ball a lot. And in fact, LeBron late in some games, including last night in Miami, kind of handed the offense to Austin Reeves and said, hey, man, this is yours. Take us home until the last play where obviously it was for LeBron and he dished it to Cam Reddish and D'Lo. And like the team is kind of built to ease LeBron's ball handling burden and ease him toward the playoffs. And even when he's on the court, his pick and roll volume is down. His post volume is down to almost nothing unless he has a mismatch, like when he put Josh Richardson in the basket last night and did the muscle, the muscle flex. That I, I, like if I if, if that's what I do when I score in the post, so I just give give a little give a little one of those. Listen, I do that when I score in the post on my ten year old twins, much yeah. less much less on an NBA player. Yes. Yeah, I've been working out. Been working out. Uh, I haven't been working out. Um, what was I? Th- oh, um, it, and even last, there was a possession in the fourth quarter last night. I, I, someone should zap rooter this. Eleven twenty left in the fourth quarter. The Lakers are like doing a bunch of stuff. Austin Reeves and D'Lo are like pitching the ball to each other. LeBron stands in the same spot on the right wing behind the three point line, and I mean stands like does not move for like eighteen consecutive seconds. Is just standing. It could be you or me. Like that's how much he was doing. But then. As soon as Austin Reeves starts to drive, he cuts down the slot. Austin Reeves loses the ball. LeBron picks it up and lays it in. But, like, he's doing a lot of – he's picking his spots. And, by the way, he's almost 40. He's averaging 25 points a game still, and the team is DOA without him, even though they're designed to yeah. have all these other ball handlers. It's a strange thing. I just want to see him healthy. Reeves seems to be rounding into form. But, look, they're 24th in offense. They're 17th in half-court offense. They're 28th in offensive rebounding. They're 29th in three-point shooting, which is probably a little bit bad luck, but also probably like, yeah, we don't got a lot of lasers. Again, no more lasers. Um, They just can't get where they want to go unless their offense gets better, and that's with LeBron, without LeBron. Their offense is just kind of stuck in mud a lot. And you can tell, although their pace is down this year, that's like when LeBron gets the ball in the open court, he is not stopping. It's My theory is that like, He's so old now, and I mean this affectionately. Like once he gets moving, it's like I just got to I just got to keep going. Like I, I'm not stopping. I'm gonna bowl over. He got that, that charge on Kyle Lowry last night. Late in the game. It's like I just got to keep going. I'm, I'm in the. I can't stop now. <laughs> once you get past like forty or fifty miles per hour, the brakes don't work so well. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just going. Like we'll do half court the next time. I'm just like I'm. I caught the ball on the run. Well, it's also I don't you, know, you man. Get in front of that freight train. Kyle Lowry did, and he uh, took a charge. Listen, that's one of the few guys in the league who's <laughs> willing to do that. Um, I I am not super worried. I mean, I I, don't, I can't ride the AD roller coaster. I, I think this team will round into form and be a tough team. 
But, you know, a lot of these Western Conference teams, talking to people on the Clippers yesterday in New York, it's like, man, we got to get a top four seed, got to get a top four seed. We can't come out of the West from sixth, seventh, eighth. It's like, that's going to be the story of the but, Western Conference. But the Lakers did last year. They, they didn't they, come out of the West, West though. But they, well, here's the thing. The Lakers aren't beating the Nuggets. I don't give a crap if they're... I don't care if they have home court advantage. They're not beating the Nuggets. The, well, the Lakers. Somebody else would have to beat. Would have to knock the Nuggets off for the Lakers to come out of the West. The Lakers. Well, look. All of these teams, maybe even including Phoenix, who we have not seen at all yet. There's really no point in talking about Phoenix if it's like Kevin Durant passing to Grayson Allen and Josh Okoge and Kata beats Diop and whatever. I mean, we'll see. Nurkic does not look great though. That's my number one concern for Phoenix. Um, all of these teams are kind of at this point like. <laughs> We kind of, kind of hope someone in the Nuggets starting five turns an ankle at the wrong time. And by the way, Jamal Murray currently out with a hamstring strain, and the Nuggets did not miss a beat last night against the Pelicans. Shout out also. to CJ McCollum who has a, another uh, collapsed lung issue and will be out for a bit. He missed 18 games, I think, with this equivalent thing a couple of years ago. The Pelicans just—I mean, it's hard to talk about the Pelicans. They just never have their people. It's like just one thing after another. I do think silver lining to uh, Jamal Murray's hamstring strain, which you know Malone has made clear this is going to be a matter of weeks. It's not a tweak; it's a strain. Um, little silver lining there is it forces Malone to find minutes for Julian Strouder, who was awesome in the preseason and was awesome last night against the Pelicans, and. I think that he's going to have to, once Murray comes back, hopefully sooner than later, we'll see. I think he's going to have to continue to find minutes for Strouder. And I think that the one head-scratching roster uh, decision that uh, Calvin Booth has made to me is Zeke Naji's contract extension because I don't think he needs to be in the rotation. This is a Zeke Naji-friendly podcast. I will not. There's That's only a certain amount of guys whose names start with Z in and around the NBA. We're going to support not- all of them. I support all Z's, and I'm, you know, I the man got paid, good for him. Uh, but all season long last year, what are they going to do for the backup center? What are they, well, they're going to play small with Aaron Gordon at the five, and guess what? That's what they should do now, especially if Strouder is is getting on the floor and scoring twenty one points in nineteen minutes or whatever it was, like he did last night, and like he did most of the preseason. Yeah, AG at the five, getting back into the swing of the rotation is interesting. I think Zeke Naji's been all, all right. I mean, he's been rolling to the rim more because he's been playing the five. His threes are down. That's fine. He just doesn't get enough rebounds, and he's not – he's very switchable on defense, but he's just not steady enough. He's biting on pump fakes. He's not He's just not not big enough yet or not, not sort of tough enough on the glass. But we'll see. Nuggets are – the Nuggets just roll along. By the way, it's just Pelicans aside, I looked up Zion's um, – shooting numbers at the basket yeah. this morning because every time I watched the Pelicans and I didn't see the Denver game on a, on a 12 game night, I, at least for half the game, I'm like, he doesn't quite look the same going up to the rim. Like he's getting blocked at the rim now and then. And you're like that. He just got blocked at the rim. He didn't finish that shot. His shooting percentage at the rim is almost the same. It's like 66, 67%, but his volume of shots at the rim is down and his yeah. volume of shots from like floater range is up significantly, and he's shooting horrible on those shots. Just something I'm monitoring. I don't want to read too much into it because he's obviously missed a lot of time. He's still coming back into peak form, but he hasn't quite looked like the same 
like, oh my God, there's just nothing you can do with him when he gets ahead of steam. Like guys are challenging him and like Clint Capella got him a few times last week in, in New Orleans. Just something something to monitor. We need to talk about an important issue from this Heat Lakers game, Tim. Okay, here we go. This Heat culture, court, and jerseys is just it's it's just They got a damn paragraph written in the lane. It's just I don't I, I like the term heat culture, hashtag heat culture. I, be, I do believe I've said many times that it's a real thing. You know, they've got a I, whole I, freaking mission statement in the paint. I, I Ironically, the phrase jumping the shark itself has jumped the shark. But this is the jumping the shark moment for heat culture. The minute you write nastiest team, best conditioned team in the league and put culture on the jerseys, I just think... I just you, think we we just got to get through the year. We just got to get through the year. I can't, it's it's just a little much is all I'm saying. If you want a good laugh, ask PJ Tucker what he thinks about heat culture. Okay, I will. The next time I see you him. When, when, during his time in Miami, and the, oh, he's the epitome of heat culture. And I mentioned, I'm like, I'm like, hey, like you're like a perfect fit for this whole thing. And he just kind of rolled his eyes like heat culture. Like I've been playing like this my whole career. Like, what is this? You know? <laughs> so when I saw the jerseys for the first time, my my direct quote to to the people I was in the meeting with was, you're gonna be able to actually hear the eye rolling from around the country when people see these things. And that was before I saw the court with the yes. with like the the paragraph of stuff. Just let just let heat culture be a talking point and something that you're proud of. Don't don't put just don't. Hey, okay. Though people will buy the stuff. Yeah, you know what? Truth, truthfully, someone with the heat told me A, people will buy it, and B, if everybody else hates it and they will, it yeah. sort of fuels our like Miami against the world. Nobody understands the heat, baby. Just really. Abomination might be too strong, but it's it's not great. <laughs> Um, any other, I don't know. What, we're talking about the Lakers. I got nothing left to say. A couple of tangents. <laughs> I got nothing left to say about the Lakers. They'll be all right. Just uh, is all right. Good enough. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, the Warriors. I haven't talked much about the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors beat the Pistons last night. They are mm-hmm. six and two for the season. Eighth in offense, 12th in defense, seventh in net rating. Hard to know what to make of the Warriors because the record is quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Paul has fit in despite a shooting slump that finally yeah. ended last night pretty well. The Warriors are pretty actually well. Hold on, I'm the CP Sixth Man of the Year campaign manager here. He's he's been awesome aside from not being able to hit jump shots. Okay, I take I, I respect your campaigning. Uh, they are plus twenty four with Steph Curry on the bench, which for them is a whole brave new world. Oh yes, um, uh, and uh, that's despite the fact that Steph Curry is just thirty one points. On 53% shooting, 48% on threes. On threes, he's shooting 48%. Those are the three-point shots, the ones that are long. He's made half of them. 64% on twos, 91% at the line. I just have the letters LOL written on my paper next to his shooting numbers. It's just yeah. absolutely absurd. And and yet, I don't know about you, and I was I had the Warriors in my I had my four inner circle contenders were Milwaukee, Boston, Phoenix, Denver, and then I had the Lakers and the Warriors in like the second outer sanctum of contenders. So I was high on them coming into the season. I 
I don't. I. It's a little early. I, something just doesn't feel quite right, and it's probably a, a, a bunch of little somethings, including no, the fact. No, it's a big something. Andrew Wiggins, Wiggins. Has been terrible. That that like the dude. Andrew Wiggins has been abysmal so far this season. They're absolutely contenders. I mean, they're a couple of years off one, and and Draymond's playing his way into shape after missing all the time with a sprained ankle. Understandable. Wiggins has got to get it going because he's been dude. They're minus forty two with him on the floor. He's shooting uh, in the low forties. He's not rebounding. He's averaging eleven uh, points a game, and he has a rebounding rate of seven percent. No, he's yeah, and like when when they won a title, Wiggins was awesome. Wiggins was. I, I have a friend who lives down the street from me who's six five. I think he might be able to have a seven percent rebounding rate in in the NBA. Seven percent is like that's like it, it, Mugsy Bogues has a seven percent rebounding rate. Yeah, Wiggins has got to get it going. Um, you know, Draymond has like it's understandable that he's taken a little while to get into peak form. But this starting lineup that was by far the best lineup in the league last year hasn't been good, and it's real simple. They've got a guy who's performing terribly at small forward. But, man, Chris Paul has been phenomenal. Uh, 62 to 6 assist to turnover ratio. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. The man has twice as many steals as he does turnovers. And, you know, it, listen, it, it took a little bit for him to basically say, all right, all right, I'm coming off the bench. But this is like a perfect situation. Their biggest problem for years, as you mentioned, has been the, the non-Steph minutes have been really, really problematic. No longer the case. They're winning those minutes. Chris Paul is uh, running the show on the second unit just as well as you would think he would. And they're able to keep his minutes into the 20s, which knock on wood will help him uh, stay healthy. Like the Chris Paul trade so far has been a home run. And if Andrew Wiggins and Draymond get rolling, this is absolutely a contender. Home run trade. I was a proponent of Chris has to come off the bench from the moment they got him. It didn't make any sense to me. Not any sense. Like he'll, He's good enough to make it work no matter what. And actually when he's played with Steph and the starters, he kind of adapts to their style a little bit. With while infusing some of his maniacal precision and like their turnover rate, they are 13th in turnover rate, which for them is like you can throw a parade for being like average or better in turnover rate. They usually throw the ball everywhere. And with Chris on the floor, they would have the best turnover rate in the entire league, basically. So he's doing what you would expect him to do. You mentioned Wiggins. He has been good. Clay has been very uneven, just 16 yeah. a game. You know they have this like they're six and two, but they they had the Clay Thompson game winner against Sacramento without De'Aaron Fox. They had the controversial finish against Oklahoma City without SGA. It's they're just kind of not like it, there's, yeah. they haven't been like emphatically good. But I trust I trust obviously the infrastructure of this team. The Wiggins thing is really interesting because he was their second best player during the last couple rounds of the playoffs when they won the title, and. You would think that would buy him a certain level of institutional trust within the team, but Steve Kerr is like yanking him left and right for crunch time. Like he is not getting the benefit of you're one of the guys who gets to play through your more blase performances. If we're going to keep you on the floor, it's like, no, Kaminga's going to play. Peyton's going to play. Like you're going to sit on the bench in crunch time. It's been interesting to watch. Well, and, and I would think it's because those guys are energy guys who are guarding. Like their defensive rating with Wiggins on the floor 
is 120.3. And like you go back to that championship run, he was really good defensively. Like he, you know, I'm not, I think Luca was running out of gas, but he gave Luca problems uh, in, in, in the West Finals. And, you know, he had committed to that in the floor. And like you just don't, you're not seeing that right now. Um, again, it's early. Uh, and if he gets right, they're tough. The, the good news is Kaminga is making strides. And it's interesting. I heard Draymond Green uh, talking about this uh, over the summer, maybe even during training camp, whenever it was, just talking about like, hey, say what you want about Chris Paul. He does tend to help young guys grow and develop. And I think you're seeing uh, some of that right now as well. Yeah, I mean, they, it's it's been interesting to see Steve Kerr go with this bench mob of Chris Paul, Gary Payton, the second Moses Moody, Kaminga, and Saric, who's been great for them. I I wonder how much staying power that lineup has. Like, just none of the starters on the floor. It, it's been uneven offensively, and and Chris has not found great pick and roll chemistry with either Saric, with either Saric, who's a popper, or Kaminga, who's kind of a roller if he has space. Um, honestly, I think the biggest thing that's giving me not pause because I I love like the Warriors are. In fact, I love when Steve Kerr kind of had his mission statement the other day when he was like, the team that couldn't close games last year, that was that was the anomaly. This is who we are. This is who we've been. I liked that kind of like bravado from it's him. Not a mission, it's not a mission statement until I see it in their lane. Oh, that's just fair. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, but I, think, I think more broadly, if there's something that just gnaws at my gut, they just, they still, and it's early, they didn't, but they didn't have this last year either. They don't have a go to Draymond at center lineup that they have. Like, this is our go to death lineup. It's either uh, Peyton with the starters in place of Looney. And so you have two non shooters on the floor. And sometimes they make that work because Draymond is such a dynamic passer and Peyton can cut across the baseline for lobs. They've been doing this, you know, let's. Excising Wiggins and playing four guards, Steph, Clay, GP, GP2, and Chris Paul with Draymond. That's too small. small. Kaminga and Draymond is the same non-shooter problem or two non-shooters problem. Moody, they they haven't really just tried Moody and shifting Wiggins to the four. They haven't tried that much. Like I, I, it sounds ridiculous, but Otto Porter as as the fifth guy just making that lineup construction viable was a big deal for them in their championship run, and they just haven't they have a whole season to land on one or two of them. Like, and they, they, that's the, that search is interesting to me. Yeah. And, you know, and we talked about this on the hoop collective the other night after they got kind of beat up by the, uh, the Cavs, obviously a bigger team, but like when they play small, they are super small. Now the death lineup was quote unquote playing small, but it wasn't that small of a lineup. Like you had Kevin Durant in there that whatever you want to say is seven feet tall. Uh, Iguodala was a, you know, a big physical six foot six. Um, and, you know, especially if, if uh, Chris Paul's in there, like that is a super small uh, lineup at this point. So that is one thing certainly that, they, that they've got to figure out. But, you know, Steph is is still like peak superstar. It's, rid- you know, it's ridiculous. In the non-Jokic MVP candidate conversation type of guy. And uh, I just think that Chris Paul has been a phenomenal fit and is ex- exactly what they needed in that, in that role coming off the bench. Let me ask you this. 
has has Steph ever done the thing where he looks at the bench or the crowd while his three point shot is in the air and it doesn't go in? Like he's I mean, right I, every time. Has it has it ever happened that he's wrong? Yeah, has he ever Jordan pooled? Is that what you're asking me? Nick Young, Nick Young would be the most famous <laughs> example of this. Like I, I don't know how you he, can he, always he be right. One hundred percent on those, but I would say, you know, if if he's turning around, there's a pretty good chance that uh, that thing's splashing through the net. I need someone, someone who's just very internet savvy and can cue. I just need someone to find me evidence that he's been wrong once. Because every time he turns around, he looks at the baseline. He looks at he's in the corner. He looks at his bench. It goes in. I'm like, how? Ch- like just by chance, one of these would miss. He's absolutely. Uh, just ridiculous to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, it's too early to talk about talk about MVPs. By the way, Cleveland. You mentioned Cleveland. I just, as an aside, I saw that game. I was very curious to see that game because I think it was only their second one, or maybe they're even their first with all four of their core star players. If you mm-hmm. count Jared Allen among their core stars, and I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. grandfather. I mean, he made an All Star game. Um, And it was the first time I've watched them play this year that A, I enjoyed watching them play, and B, they kind of played like the team that I think they're going to have to be to get further in the playoffs to be, or even to win like 50 games. Like I I think they should be able to. As well as Donovan Mitchell has been playing, and he's been unbelievable. His shot making has been unbelievable. There's just been like a lot of Donovan Mitchell, just a lot of dribbling, a lot of ISO, a lot of jacking up step back threes, and it's fine. It's been working, and Garland's missed a lot of games, and Jared Allen's missed a lot of games, and they've needed Karis LeVert missed a couple games, at least one. They've needed him to do it, but I was happy to see that when they had the whole band back together, he was getting off the ball earlier, moving it. Everyone was moving around. The ball was ping, ping, pinging around. It's like, okay, bottled that, and they like... The Warriors are good, and the Cavs were kind of up by 10 to 12 that entire game. Like, they kind of controlled yeah. that entire game. Bottled that, and the Cavs can be be interesting this year. Yeah, I I do question long-term whether Mobley's going to end up needing to be a full-time five. Um, that's not a decision that's going to be made over the next couple of months. They got a little look at him, but it, like you said, they had a lot of injuries when he was uh, playing the five. But... Um, Unless he develops into at least a decent shooter, I think there's that's going to be a difficult fit as far as uh, giving them a chance to make a deep playoff run. I think the whole thing is really interesting. The whole construction of the team. Um, I mean, obviously, we've ever the Donovan Mitchell stuff. Josh Hart even joked about how the New York Donovan Mitchell stuff will never go away, and I don't know. I mean, we'll see. But I, I do think like okay, that those are two undersized guards who are not quite duplicative uh, on offense. I think they're actually different enough offensively in terms of their mindsets and their games that it, it can work. But size-wise, it is what it is. Um, and I, I think there are times where Garland feels a little bit minimized there by Donovan's just giant supernova presence. And, you know, Mobley at the five, everyone kind of wants to speak that into existence, and I get that. And maybe that is where he is in the future. But you're, we're already seeing in Memphis, like Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five is like a heavy minutes thing isn't working yet. And Mobley is like, if you're going to play Mobley at the five, I think you need more size at the two, three, four than the Cavs currently have like by, by a lot. But this is a discussion to me. That's, that's years away from, from being a real viable thing. But yeah, I I get it. Two non-shooters up front. It's difficult. Yeah. uh, The one big difference between Mobley and 
Jaron Jackson Jr. is that Mobley rebounds. You know, that, he doesn't. That, he doesn't foul himself into foul trouble. Right. Well, that, that's what makes the five just a no go for Jaron Jackson Jr. Is for whatever reason, at his size with his athleticism, he's just not a rebounder. Give me three minutes before we go on your hometown Dallas Mavericks, who are six and one. Six and one, and you know, fourth in offense, nineteenth in defense, sixth in net yeah. rating, and that fourth and nineteenth is kind of about like if you if it were fourth and thirteenth, mm-hmm. you'd be real real happy. Um, Kyrie's missed some games. Luca looks unbelievable. Uh, give me give me a couple. You you see these guys up close. Give me a couple minutes. Yeah, Kyrie's missed some games. Uh, last night, second half in Orlando is the first time this year where he's like, "Ooh, okay, boy, that, that that's Kyrie Irving." I also missed time during preseason because of a groin than the foot. Um, Grant Williams been a phenomenal fit. Um, you know, I think he's been critical for as a culture guy. In in a lot of ways, I think he gives them what Jalen Brunson used to do as far as a you know, he, he's a, a yap, 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 or more than Brunson. Sorry, you mentioned Jalen Brunson. I got a drink. Every Mavs segment, you mentioned Jalen Brunson. Drink. But the culture was bad last year. It was off. They needed that connector in, in, in the locker room, on the floor. Grant Williams has given them that. And he's shooting 50-something percent on threes, um, getting wide open looks, courtesy primarily of Luca. Luca came in in shape. Um, that certainly helped. Derek Lively II, there's been a couple games, including last night in Orlando, where he's gotten in foul trouble. That was a big concern with him in particular. Rookie bigs, man. It's, I, it's coming. Like, the ups and downs are coming. As, great, as exciting as the highs are, the lows are coming. That's life. Especially a teenage rookie big, a, a, a one-and-done uh, rookie big who didn't play a whole lot of Duke. But, man, he's he's had the three of these games, he's been one of the major factors uh, in them winning. And he is 7-1, 240. Great hands can jump out of the gym. Um, the potential with him and, and Luca as, as a pick and roll tandem is pretty damn good. He's made some plays. You know, had six assists against the Bulls, making some plays out of the uh, short roll that you don't expect to see from a from a lob threat uh, rookie. Um, and seems to be about all the the right stuff. Um, Orlando was the only plus five hundred team that they've beaten. Uh, that solid win on a back to back. You know, we'll see how this team looks when the schedule gets tough. But I will say this. I think this is a team that for a lot of reasons, including the way last season ended, needed to get off to a good start. And they sure as hell have done that at six and one. Yeah, I said this last week. You, you know, you can we can kind of chuckle about the schedule and they've played an easy schedule. But like this is a team that lost to bad teams regularly last year and they're beating bad teams this year and in the West. Every win matters. Like you're six and one, you've given yourself even it through seven games, like a little cushion to take a bad luck buzzer beater loss, a four game ankle sprain to Grant Williams, whatever. Like you got a little cushion built up. I just thought, you know, I saw their. Sh- I didn't see last night's game yet, but I saw Charlotte. The they beat sh- rallied from behind yeah. to beat the, the the Charlotte Hornets at home the other day. Again, like not you're not psyched that you had to really dig out a win at home against the Hornets, but I found it interesting that. Um, down the stretch of that game, the Hornets had Brandon Miller guarding Kyrie and LaMelo Ball guarding Tim Hardaway Jr., who has accepted a bench role that I don't think yeah. he's psyched about, but he's accepted and has done pretty well. Yeah, he's he's fine with it. Yeah. Like, um, fine with it, yeah. And so they had LaMelo on Tim Hardaway Jr. And so 
the Mavs, Luca was basically like, all right, I'm just going to call Tim Hardaway Jr. up to set a pick for me every single possession down the floor because I want to go at LaMelo Ball. Mm-hmm. And LaMelo Ball has made some some really good defense. He had a game-saving defensive play the other day. But, you know, Luca's Luca. It's a tough matchup for LaMelo. And you you watch and you're like, all right, so what, what's Kyrie doing? And Kyrie's in the right corner and you see him like the degree of readiness that he had, like when the ball was going to come to him, he was ready to make a play. He was engaged. He was talking to people, directing people where to be. And it's just interesting to me that it was an interesting little window into there has never been for one second a question of who's going to have the ball all the time. Like Kyrie has fit around a Luka Doncic, Luka Doncic universe. It's his team. It's his universe. He's the sun. The solar system is him. Um, and Kyrie's had to kind of pick his spots and and like everybody wants this magical synergy between the two of them. And I do think they will get to a point where they run more two man game together when, when the mismatch hunting dictates that it should be Kyrie coming to set screens for Luca. There will be games like that. That wasn't one of those games, but I, I just think Luca is so good that, and Kyrie is so dangerous even in that secondary role. And then taking over when Luca hits the bench, it's like, I just, this is a, they're starting Derek Jones Jr., Derek Lively, and Grant Williams, and this is a top five offense. It's just, Luca is just a walking top five offense. Yeah, and I, and I personally think Josh Green should be starting. Me too. Uh, I mean, but whatever. Uh, he he's been good for them too, and they, and they you know with Josh Green, with Lively, Grant Williams is only twenty four. Luca's twenty four. Jaden Hardy's contributing off the bench. You know, they've got this young core that uh, you know has a chance to grow around Luca if they win enough where everything's good and, and there, there's no reason for him to look elsewhere. And, you know, the other thing, just real quick, last year, post-Kyrie trade, Luca's banged up, Kyrie's banged up, whatever, 5-11 and 11 when those two guys played, and a big part of it was they stunk in clutch situations. The Mavericks are plus 30 in clutch minutes this year. Obviously, we've, we're talking about a small sample size, but they have more than doubled up any other teams plus-minus in the clutch so far this year. And last night in Orlando, when uh, they also had to come back from 15 down, but perfect, kind of a perfect sequence. One possession, they try to throw a late double team to Luca. He whips a, cra- uh, a pass across the floor to Kyrie, catch and shoot three, swish. Next possession, Kyrie gets it, boom. They're off and running. Luca running the floor, yep. catching three from Kyrie. And that is the other thing. Luca is in shape and 30 teams every year talk about playing faster. The Mavericks are actually doing it. And he's playing defense too. I mean, not every possession, not every game, but like Luca's engaged on defense when, when he needs to be. And when he um, runs back instead of talking to the refs, which continues to be a problem. I can't, I can't talk about that. And, but, but you made the actual important point, which is, look, the Mavericks aren't going to win the championship this season. They're probably not going to make the conference finals. I said second round is their ceiling. Maybe maybe it's higher. Maybe we'll see. Like the West is a little murky, whatever. If they come out of this season and Luka looks around and he says, that guy's that young guy's pretty good. Okay, Omax Prosper got some minutes late in the season, whatever. We haven't seen him at all. Like he looks pretty good. This guy's pretty good. Like, okay, Jaden Hardy getting back in the rotation, I think he's a big deal after a so-so summer league and training camp that had people there a little bit worried. Like, is he gonna make the is he gonna get minutes? Yeah. If if he can look around and be like, something's here that seems sustainable to me, that's the win. Josh Green, like all of like that's the win. Like like every the actual wins are good and the playoff series win would be great. It just if he if you if Luca looks around, is like I 
I'm good. Like, this looks like a sustainable thing. That's the big W. Yeah, if he feels like, hey, the front office has made some moves to give me a chance to compete for a championship here in the very near future. That's what needs to happen. And getting Grant Williams, who they're buddies, you know, they're both represented by Bill Duffy. Grant Williams even wears Luca's. Even when he was guarding him last year with the Celtics, he's wearing Luca ones. But that was big. And they, it was a big risk because it's a 2030 unprotected swap that they gave up to San Antonio in a three way sign and trade. But man, he's been everything they could ever hope he would be early on. But man, the, the, fact that Derek Lively has contributed as much as he has already is a bonus. If he, if by the end of the season, Luca goes into the next summer thinking, man, Lively's a stud and he's a screen setter roller. Cause Luca asked for a veteran big. They had discussions for DeAndre. They had discussions for Clint Capella. Ultimately they didn't get it. If he goes into this summer thinking, man, Derek Lively is exactly the kind of big that I was hoping to get, and he's a dude already, that would be the best possible thing that could happen for the Mavericks, and there's a chance. Remind me what Kleba's been out with. He's got a, uh, I believe it is a dislocated little toe. Okay. Yeah, and he he went through a workout. He was questionable last night, went through a workout, didn't didn't play but it's it's he'll be back soon interesting he started the the opener at center um and you know what the other thing in, in a game like last night in a game like memphis where lively got in foul trouble mavericks fans have been trying to run dwight powell out of town for a while and i, I get it, it because he well for a variety of reasons but he's not as he's not a starting center but it's no, not his it, damn it, fault he had to be we're gonna we're in like five years. There's gonna be like a bombshell Wall Street Journal story where like accidentally into the charter of the Dallas Mavericks organization, Mark Cuban by accident like included a clause that Dwight Powell gets ownership of the team in like 2030. It's you can't get him away from the team. We're we're a decade away from Dwight Powell being the Dallas Mavericks CEO, and I'm I'm only half kidding uh, about that one. But he is one hell of a professional and one of the better backup centers. And I think he's a guy who's a great, I've said this before, people roll their eyes. I I think he's the exact kind of guy you want helping Derek Lively develop. And when he gets in foul trouble and he needs to play 30-something minutes, he can step in and do that as well. Uh, I only asked about Kleba because I agree with you. I I think the era of Kleba being like a 28 to 30 minute a game playoff guy, like he was when they made the conference finals and they played five out. It seems like his body just can't tolerate that anymore. But in spots, I I still think he's an important part of their team. By the way, guess what? Real quick, Raptors coming to town on Wednesday. You know what that means? Dennis Schroeder versus Maxi Kleba. The German beef that kept uh, Kleba off off the World Cup roster. Are, are, Are there going to be... Uh, fisticuffs and confrontations. I mean, listen, I'll, I'll be there. Be there to monitor. Who, who's got to give the hard foul if Kleba can't play? Who gets deputized to give the hard foul? Kleba, hey, he's got to come back for this one. He's got to come right. back for this one. Well, now I'm excited. Tim McMahon, uh, no one better to bounce around the Western Conference with. We'll talk about your Jazz and Grizzlies uh, another time when they win more basketball games. Uh, it's great to see you, bud. I always appreciate you having me, and adios amigos. <laughs>